Joy Tuesday. Today's episode is really near and dear to my heart. And almost one year ago to the day, I traveled to Denver, Colorado to train to become a climate reality leader with the Climate Reality Project. And if you're not familiar with the training or with the Climate Reality Project, their mission is really to catalyze a global solution to the climate crisis by making urgent action a necessity across every level of society. And in addition to the campaigns that they run and the social media awareness that they put out there, they also train and mobilize millions of people to really work together to accelerate the global shift from fossil fuels to clean energy. And I was so excited, I can't even tell you, to be accepted and invited to attend the training last year in Denver. And I shared pretty early on in this podcast, it must have been in episode one where I really talked about my passion for the environment and wanting to be part of the solution to the climate crisis. And so to have the opportunity to be in a room with at least 1,000 people uh, who feel the exact same way was it was life-changing. And so when I was reflecting on what episodes I wanted to put out during the month of March, it felt like a no-brainer to put something out there where I would really share and reflect about my experience and also invite my good friend, Divya Nawali, who I met at the training last year in Denver, as well as some other wonderful climate reality leaders on to share about their experience. I totally failed to mention that the Climate Reality Project was founded and started by former Vice President Al Gore, and he actually started giving his presentation on the climate crisis over 10 years ago. There was one point during the training where he really urged us all to reflect on what's in our hearts that led us to set aside three days to come to Denver. During those three days, he really reminded us all of the passion that we feel to be part of the solution to this crisis. And he also really reminded us to make sure that passion is front and center as we go out into the world and to make sure that we're telling our stories because this movement is really a message of the heart. And I really felt that over the course of the training. And so it felt like a no-brainer to me to invite Divya onto the podcast to share about her experiences working in the environmental movement and working to combat climate change. And actually, she's on her way home right now from her second expedition to Antarctica with the 2041 Foundation. And so I'm so excited to share her journey and her experiences and her real passion and love for the environment and and working to be part of the solution. I'm going to be honest though, I was a little nervous and hesitant to include this episode as part of the podcast. I know that climate change and the topic of environmental protection can be really heated and has the potential to alienate people. And I really want to say this, that I really believe there's a new sustainable world ahead of us. I'm really excited for it. And the whole experience in Denver and meeting so many incredible people really reminded me that we're all leaders in our communities regardless of our political views. And climate change, in my opinion, is not a liberal or conservative issue. 
We all have to take this issue out of the partisan framework because at its core, it's a human issue and it's a social justice issue. And I think we all really need to do our part to ensure that there's a livable climate and world for future generations. So I hope no matter where you stand on this issue, you'll give today's episode a listen. It's really not my intention to be political, and I don't really want to be political on this podcast, but climate change and the environment is an issue that's really near and dear to my heart, and I wanted to stay true and authentic to myself and share about my experience uh, at this training with all of you. So during the first half of this episode, you will hear my wonderful conversation with Divya. We talk all about her passions for the environment and combating climate change and her expeditions to Antarctica. And we also chat about her self-love and joy journey. And it was so wonderful to hear her perspective on all of these topics. And then you will hear from five climate reality leaders who I had the pleasure of meeting and staying in touch with. Uh, since our training last year in Denver, Colorado. As always, to learn more about today's episode, head over to the show notes section of our website, seekthejoypodcast.com slash show dash notes, and everything is right there. All right, guys, that's it. I'm so excited to share today's episode with all of you. It is really inspiring and powerful, and I had the best time connecting uh, with all of these climate reality leaders and catching up. If you've been enjoying Seek the Joy podcast, make sure to hit subscribe and share it with a friend. And if you feel so inspired, leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. Take a screenshot of that review and email it to me at sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com and I will send you some goodies to say thank you. So, all right, guys, that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Divya. originally from India um, and I came to um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the U.S. for a master's program two years ago and um, I've been uh, here um, ever since and um, what I could say is that I have kind of had a couple career changes along the line. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in engineering. I wasn't 100% sure that was what I wanted when I graduated so Although I took up a job in engineering, um, I kept working in the nonprofit world as a volunteer. And then eventually um, I, I, I came to a point where I said uh, to myself, well, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything much in the corporate world. And then so I went into like the international development space. So I worked in India uh, majorly, but also I had the opportunity to work um, in the global space as well. Um, eight years ago, right out of college, actually, I got the opportunity to go on an expedition to Antarctica uh, with the 2041 Foundation, which is based in the US. And um, that was the biggest life-changing experience. And from there, I realized that I wanted to work in the environment and sustainability space. Everything I've done since then has brought me here more recently, um, the, my master's was in public policy with a focus on energy and environment policies. And um, 
I just finished finished a fellowship with the mayor's um, office in Pittsburgh in the Division of Sustainability and Resilience. One of the big reasons why I'm in this space um, is also because of the movie An Inconvenient Truth. I watched the movie while I was still um, in my undergrad um, when it came out. And that kind of actually made me think a lot about climate change and was always on the back burner. But earlier this year, I got the opportunity to um, go to a training to see Al Gore um, give the Inconvenient Truth presentation live. And um, then I became part of um, the Climate Reality Project. It was divine timing or something that, um, you know, the next training for the year happened in Pittsburgh. And so the whole climate reality thing was here in my city while I was working for the mayor's office. And so um, the climate reality folks thought I was the best person to actually provide um, some idea about what Pittsburgh is doing locally, because as a trained climate reality leader, um, I had some experience also about the training itself. So I got to serve as a mentor. I got to moderate a session. And I also had the opportunity to be on a panel discussion, which was moderated by ex-Vice President Al Gore himself. And I, and I feel um, really grateful that I had the opportunity to talk about local action in Pittsburgh, as well as international action across the world, given my experiences um, in India, in Europe, and um, other places. You've done so much, I think, <laughs> since you and I met back in March. So do you feel like for you growing up in India and being exposed to the real effects of climate change in real time and, and seeing Al Gore's movie, did that really jumpstart your, you know, inspiration and desire to be part of the climate movement? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, being in India, 10 years ago, I mean, no one was really talking about climate change or sustainability when the movie right. came out, yeah. right? It came out in 2007. And honestly, when I watched the movie in like, like early 2008, maybe is that when I saw it. Um, and to me, I mean, a lot of people like were like, why did you watch that? I mean, you know, you could have watched like a more fun, you know, comedy or something. <laughs> but I was like, you have no idea what that did to me. Like that, that night when I watched it, I was like, I, I don't think I'd be excited watching anything else, really, you know? Yeah. It kind of struck a chord in me. And, you know, I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this? Do people even know that climate change is happening? And, you know, obviously, I mean, I've seen flooding in my own, um, you know, hometown growing up, you know, like, yeah. and in India, you know, for example, um, I've had like regular power outages every day, you know, there's like, the whole grid shuts down for an hour every day, you know, like, it's, it's like a joke, you know, like, <laughs> you don't even um, expect the electricity to be 24 hours in India, because the grid is not reliable. And you take it as a given, you know, you don't really question it until you get an experience in the, um, you know, other parts of the world that you, there you'd be like, oh, so there's 24 hours electricity and free, um, you know, running water. Mm -hmm. So back in India, we, we just assume the things are the way they are because you, you don't know the other side. But when I watched that movie, um, a lot of things came into perspective. Firstly, that, you know, when flooding happens in, say, um, Mumbai, which is um, technically not my hometown, but my um, native, because I have a lot of um, relatives um, there, and I used to visit every summer, I would look at how the rain would flood the streets in uh, Mumbai and, uh, you know, always think that 
you know, well, it's because the government doesn't know how to make roads, you know. I always thought it was more of like a government failure and not climate change because that's what everyone says it is. Right. But obviously, when, you know, I watched the movie, it put, you know, whole context of, you know, what the weather is doing, really, you know, it's changing. And obviously, it's affecting us. And we just assume that it's because the government is not doing a good job uh, of, you know, maintaining the infrastructure, but it's actually not just that, but also the fact that, you know, climate is changing around the world. That was like, the first time I realized that something needs to be done or talked about, but I still, as like an 18 year old, I don't think I had the, you know, I would say I was not informed enough except for the movie and also not clear on what resources were available to me to do something about it. Eventually, um, you know, I made the transition um, to work in nonprofit space. And then I had the opportunity to then go on this expedition to Antarctica, which was also very timely because, you know, I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Literally, it just happened. And then I came back from the expedition thinking, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. Um, So the 2041 Foundation um, actually has the mission to preserve Antarctica. um, And it's named after the year 2041, when the Antarctic Treaty that preserves the continent actually expires. So until the year 2041 no one can exploit antarctica in any manner and it, it can only be used as a peaceful li- uh, land mm-hmm. for scientific purposes and um, the treaty preserves the continent as it's the largest um, uh, landmass that is protected in this form the mission of the organization is to create such an um, system in the world where there's so much sustainability and so much environmental awareness that uh, in when the uh, the treaty comes up for review um, there will be no need to say that okay now we can op- open up the continent for exploration and drilling activity it's not just for the year 2041 but leading up to the year 2041 saying that together if we can create a world where there's no need to kind of you know, exploit any natural resources and use uh, renewable energy and sustainability as a part of this world, then we don't need to go to that world and exploit it. I've had the opportunity to work with them as a full-time employee, as a volunteer for the last eight years. And that has become my, um, in the sense, it has given me, you know, purpose. I definitely believe that everything that I've done and everything that I'm doing is um, a part of, um, you know, that you know, vision for 2041. So when you came back from Antarctica, did you know right away, okay, I want to continue to work in the environmental movement? I mean, what kind of impression did that expedition have on you? That's a great question. So I guess, um, you know, one thing that a lot of people confuse is that finding your passion is not equivalent to making it work in your Mm. passion. You know, there's so many people that know what they want to do, but, you know, find it really hard to kind of make it work in the sense that, you know, to find the right resources or opportunities to be able to fulfill that. And even when I, you know, was struggling to find uh, the right kind of opportunity or job in the environment space, I went through my own issues like, what really helps? What do what what can I really do? You know, it's like, you know, yeah. taking your long term goal 
and then breaking it down into the questions that any HR interview guy, you know, an interview guy asks you. Like, it's like, what do you want to do five years from now? What do you want to do 10 years from now? So even though you, um, you know, you have a passion, you always have to plan in the real time. Mm-hmm. So um, it was definitely hard for me as well coming back and saying, okay, I do want to fulfill this, you know, long-term vision and mission, but what can I do here in the real world that will help facilitate that? You know, there always be questions like, why do you want to do something different? Like I had mm-hmm. to, you know, also bring my parents on board um, with this whole career change and, you know, trying to trying to find space in a sector that doesn't necessarily, you know, have like thousands of jobs out there that I can just apply to, uh, you know, like tonight and get an interview tomorrow, right? Right, of course. So it was definitely, um, you know, a lot of um, challenges that I had to overcome as a part of, you know, making this decision that I want to work in the space, but also finding the right opportunities. So it took me a couple of years working in the nonprofit space and going back to corporate and working in corporate sustainability and, you know, um, taking a lot of guidance from mentors and leaders in the space to be able to then decide that, oh, maybe I like policy analysis and, you know, doing that would help me have greater impact. It's been a great um, learning experience, having career changes along the line. And I'm absolutely grateful that I've had so many mentors and, you know, heroes that have guided me in in this process in my career. Um, not saying it's easy, but if you work, work, keep working on it, things happen, people will show up for you and you need to keep showing up for yourself. And in the process, I mean, five years ago, there was not much um, really in terms of even jobs, but today there is a lot of opportunity. People are talking about it. And I think it's people like us who keep talking about it, who are making things happen. Yeah. I love the point that you made about if you want to fulfill this long-term vision that you have, but mm-hmm. sometimes in the moment, the day-to-day, you're not you not really sure what those steps are going to look like you know, for you moving forward. And where do you see your role in the environmental movement? I would definitely see myself as someone um, who's kind of walking the talk. So yeah. I've taken small steps in my own lifestyle to be more eco-friendly, sustainable, um, you know, avoiding straws, avoiding any kind of, um, you know, like single-use plastics or styrofoam. And, you know, just making more eco-friendly choices, even when it comes to using like makeup, you know, Mm -hmm. having 100% natural, cruelty-free, vegan makeup. I've been working very hard to... Um, become uh, more eco-friendly and sustainable in my lifestyle and I would say one of my personal goals to add to the environmental movement to be a leader in my own lifestyle that's a Mm. big personal goal for me to be able to actually show that it is possible to live a lifestyle where you are you know working with nature rather than against it Um, I've been uh, learning as much as possible about permaculture and all these other, you know, ways of living, minimalistic living that really kind of, um, you know, make me feel inspired. And I think, um, of course, that's being my personal side. On the professional side, I definitely see myself 
as someone who's able to have those hard conversations with people and talking to them about how working with nature and being sustainable. If you've heard of the word triple bottom line, I want to, you know, kind of create, you know, the right kind of um, triple bottom line success for companies and cities and all kinds of decision making bodies to be able to make that kind of choice for the environment. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you said about walking your talk and you want to be a leader. I think you said in your own life and in, you know, in the lifestyle that you choose to lead. And I, I love also what you said about pushing through those difficult conversations and, and having those difficult conversations. And when you're having those difficult conversations, how do you stay motivated and, and stay positive? I think the easiest way to stay motivated actually is to be up to date with the news. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that what keeps you motivated is the fact that, you know, you have a personal story. So I, I've been very grateful for the fact that, you know, I have my own personal story and the fact that I got to go and experience Antarctica. And that became my story. But I know that not everybody has that opportunity, but I think everyone does have the opportunity to create their own story. For some people who are a part of the climate action movement, it's about, well, you know what, I saw this happening in my own backyard. You know, mm -hmm. um, for me, it's like I wake up every morning and ask myself, you know, what can I do today to preserve Antarctica? And that kind of keeps me going. I believe that keeping ourselves aware of the news of all the small and big successes will really help us being motivated. And then having your own personal story that fuels that passion every day. I know each one of us has a personal story. And I think we had the session at the Climate Reality Training as well. Yeah, I was going to say, right? you know, having that personal connection and that tie, you know, and it yeah. doesn't have to be something major. It can just be, I go to the beach and I notice that, mm -hmm. you know, the tide is changing or there's more trash right. on the sand. I mean, it yeah. can really be anything that's your connection to our earth and your connection to the, what's really going on with our climate. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think having that personal story is, is really critical. Yeah. And I love that you said that it can be small. I know. I mean, in my case, I just have this story that has, you know, you just have a really cool time. story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it amazes me too. It's been eight years, but I, it amazes me even now. But, you know, but I also personally think that you don't need something extraordinary to happen to you. You could be extraordinary or make extraordinary things happen just by, you know, believing. Yeah. You know, yeah. your small story can have such an impact you don't know. Yeah, I think it's that awareness, right? I mean, just mm -hmm. to be aware of what's going on sort of in your own backyard, that awareness, I think, becomes your story too. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you could articulate it so well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love everything you're saying. I think, so can we talk a little bit about, you know, your experience mm -hmm. as a mentor and... I know you were on a panel that Al Gore moderated. So what was the experience for you being on the other side of it this time? So the training in Pittsburgh was the largest climate reality training ever so that's far. Right, that's right. It had 1,500 people. It was more Pittsburgh focused just because of the fact that um, I think uh, the president said in his speech while pulling out of the Paris Agreement that I was uh, chosen to represent the people of Pittsburgh, not Paris. And he faced a major backlash <laughs> because everyone from the mayor in Pittsburgh to people, local uh, citizens, you know, local 
um, folks were all like, that's not true. We did not vote for you. We were, <laughs> you know, not not voting for you. Sorry about that. And you don't have the right to say that. And I think, you know, everybody knows um, the reaction um, it created yeah. on social media. And I think that was one of the big reasons why there were close to 400, 500 people locally who showed up in that training. And I was so grateful because um, I had just trained earlier this year in Denver with you. And, you know, um, I had been in touch with the climate reality team. And, you know, I applied to be a mentor. Coincidentally, my office was a partner for the training. I was also helping them, you know, publicize the training and, you know, like talking about how we are working together because um, the mayor's office was also supporting the training to be happening locally. And um, suddenly I got this email one day, you know, who's like, hey, do you want to be on this panel with Al Gore talking about, you know, local climate action in Pittsburgh and also global because you have both experiences. And I was like... Well, yeah, that makes sense. I would love to do that. Um, and it was it was amazing. I got to, you know, be a mentor, of course, and uh, be, uh, have the opportunity to, you know, facilitate some of the discussions at the tables um, and meet a bunch of amazing people in the process. But also being on the panel gave me the opportunity to share some, um, you know, insights into what Pittsburgh is doing locally, as well as how my perspectives you know, living in India and, you know, being a young activist in the developing world helped me to come to this part of the world and actually, you know, contribute and learn from it to probably take to other parts of the world. It was a great learning experience. You know, I was really scared, honestly, to go on stage oh, with 1,500 people watching. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and they broadcast it live, I think, right? I on Facebook. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was only like one or two two sessions in the entire three days that were broadcasted live and um, ours was one of them. Oh my God. <laughs> but also the other panelists were so inspiring. You know, Victoria Serda, who was one of the other panelists with me, was actually one of the first people ever trained in Nashville in 2007 when, you know, Al Gore did his first ever training yeah. for climate reality. So, you know, I mean, I was sharing the stage with such amazingly inspiring people that, you know, it was just like, wow, you know, just the moment was incredibly inspiring for me and something um, I'll, uh, I'll always, you know, remember for my life. I got the uh, opportunity to announce that I'm going to be starting the local Pittsburgh chapter during the panel discussion and everybody like was applauding that and it was like overwhelming and wonderful. And um, since then, I've had the opportunity to actually help set up the local chapter here and it's been incredible again to, you know, I mean, like an understatement even um, to say that, you know, it's been um, a learning experience because I, I've got to work with such wonderful people who have been in the climate space for, you know, as long as I've been alive, probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, talking yeah. about, you know, what, what we need to do and, you know, how we need to uh, work together in the environmental movement. And I've had so much support and guidance from the local leaders here in trying to create the opportunity that has been unique for the region. It's so exciting. I can't even tell you how um, amazing um, it feels to be a part of the movement here. 
Yeah. First of all, I mean, it had to be an amazing experience. I think that word is probably an understatement. Like you said, <laughs> you know, to, to be up on stage and to really share your passion and your, what you're excited about. And you bring such a wonderful perspective that I think is got to be so valuable for you, but also for those that you are working with. So not only to be on stage and to share that with everyone, but to have the opportunity to be with Al Gore. And I saw your selfie with him. So I was freaking out. <laughs> Out. I was freaking out for you. So I was so scared to ask you for a selfie that I actually had one of the other panelists like, um, you know, um, he just like, well, if you're so scared, don't worry, I'll introduce you. Oh, and then like he literally just said, hey, we're going to be on the panel later with you this afternoon. And then then I got to meet him and introduce myself. And I was like, oh, my God, I would have been so nervous not being able to do that myself you know because yeah, um, it's it's a little intimidating I think you know because this is someone <laughs> who's done so much good work you know for yeah. for the United States and the world and has had such a strong impact but he's also just like such a dynamic force you know within know. the climate movement so it's got to have been I would have been a little intimidated myself I, know. I don't blame and, you um, did you watch the Inconvenient Truth sequel I did I actually saw it um, okay like like twice I saw it twice yeah okay it, was, it made me cry. It, it was so powerful. And honestly, I didn't know about the role he played at the Paris um, okay, you know, neither summit did about I. India. Like, Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so amazing? Like I, so yeah. Obviously, when I got introduced, I had the opportunity to thank him personally for that. I was like, "You did it. You made India actually, you know, get on board the Paris Agreement. If yeah. it wasn't for you today, India would not have a one billion dollar." A U.S. dollar loan to actually implement the solar projects that it's implementing. So it was know. just so amazing to see yeah. his role behind the scenes, and I yeah. love that they captured that because absolutely because I don't think a lot of people know or or really understand that he's more than just the former vice president of the United States. And he's more than just the founder of the Climate Reality Project. I mean, Mm -hmm. he goes to these international events and summits and, uh, you know, he plays a real dynamic role. And so that, and for you, I mean, you have that tie to India. I mean, that had to be so cool to witness that, just to see that and and to be able to thank him. Yeah, that movie moved me so much. I mean, like, if the first movie was like, you know, inspiring me to start talking about it. The second movie actually inspired me to do so much more. So um. (laughs) it inspires you to keep going. And it had that impact on me too. It was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I want to do more. You know, I want to be part of a part of, I want to be part of it. And so I think it's safe to say this is your passion. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say that I've been so passionate for working in the climate movement and I'm so grateful to have found it so early on in my life and it has shaped so much of my life in so many ways. What I think is interesting about the climate movement is it's such an empowering movement. You know, it's about, okay, what can I do to empower myself and empower others, you know, to be part of the climate movement and to, you know, support policies and practices in their own lives. And well, I think I can speak for both of Of us. Of course. I think I can speak for both of us when I say, you know, I really think it's been an empowering movement for us on an individual scale too. And I think through it, you know, you're able to empower others at the same time. Exactly. I mean, I've learned so much, you know, just working with different people and different organizations. You know, I know more today about the way to tackle climate action 
as compared to five years ago. You know, it's all a learning process and technology is changing so quickly. You know, things are happening at such a rapid pace. So like I said, it's important to keep ourselves aware of the news and that's how you grow. Basically, the environmental movement is growing and, you know, we have to keep growing with it Mm -hmm. and we need to keep making sure that we are being a part of something that's creating a positive change. I know we are already doing that, but what I'm saying, I guess, is that, you know, we need to, um, you know, definitely be learning better ways to communicate that, be learning better ways to showcase that and, you know, inspiring each other like, you know, you and I keep doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I think that's how it grows. I agree. So with everything that you have going on in your life, how do you stay true to yourself and, and sort of stay grounded through it all? Mm, that's a tricky question. Um for me. Yeah. Because, um, you know, a lot of my uh, work is obviously about trying to, you know, showcase more and more positivity, right? Yeah. And um, I have to be 100% honest when I say that I'm not the most positive person. That's okay. Yeah, I get bogged down by the negative news all the time. And you know, in in the true authentic self, I I, I'm a self help zombie, I have to keep motivating myself, I do a lot of meditation to keep myself grounded. I surround myself with people who inspire me and you know, kind of keep me uh, motivated. Um, And you know, some days, even then I have all these challenges, like, how do I overcome the fact that, you know, something still went wrong, you know? Yeah. I'm not talking about personally, but, you know, I think um, being an empathetic person, I, you know, I get affected, you know, hearing about the world news and, you know, it breaks my heart to read about climate refugees Mm -hmm. and, you know, to hear about any kind of disasters that are happening around the world. And, you know, it breaks my heart. So, um, I'm not 100%, um, you know, a happy self. And I work really, really hard to keep myself motivated, engaged in, you know, doing positive things, you know, looking up, um, you know, a lot of self help stuff, keeping my eye open to looking at random acts of kindness that other people are doing and keeping myself open to them and doing them and allowing them to happen. So I, I definitely work very hard to be optimistic and to keep, create a positive mindset for myself yeah and I think um, I, I, I really want to share the story about um, you know the day you reached out to me for this podcast um, I don't know if I already mentioned the story to you but um, the morning um, of the day you reached out to me I was listening to uh, the song by John Legend um, the all of me um, song which song. goes like all of me loves all of you yeah and of course I love that song and I don't know why that morning I heard that song and I said to myself I don't know if that really makes 100% sense to me this morning you know like I would rather listen to a song which would say all of me loves all of me you mm, know yeah I want more self-love you know I and why are there not enough songs about self-love <laughs> you know there and should be more. <laughs> there should be more, right? Yeah, not just like meditations and, you know, like self-help books would say that you need to love yourself, but also we need love songs for ourselves. That's what I think. I'm not a songwriter, but, you know. <laughs> no, but I, I, get, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we definitely need more of that messaging out there. And so when you reached out to me and I, like when you told me about this podcast and I went and clicked on the link and I read about Seek 
you know, seek the joy. And then it said about self-love. I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to say. And Aww. then I felt like this was the, you know, the most wonderful way that the universe got to me in trying to say what I wanted to say. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That's amazing. Talk about um, like a synchronicity, but also maybe a coincidence, but not really a coincidence. I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm a firm believer that what you need shows up for you, you know, right uh -huh. on time. And so I, I, do. I love that. I, do that I love the story of that day because no, you didn't tell me that story before. So, okay. <laughs> so I love that. Oh, oh my I God. guess I was saving it for this moment. Then. Oh my gosh. But I agree. You know, I think self-love is a hard job because we're mm -hmm. not really taught how to love ourselves. And, and, as a as a community as a as a world i'm not sure how much it's really put out there and there yeah. are some people who you know in their own homes you know maybe it's something that they talk about but for a lot of us and and me included you know it isn't something that i necessarily grew up feeling or being. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think as we get older, and by older, I mean, in our 20s, and as we approach 30 and all of that, you know, I think it becomes more important to us, especially, you know, when you're in relationships or with your friendships or with your families, self-love becomes more important because you need to love yourself first. This is what I really believe. Absolutely. You really need to love yourself first and treat yourself the way you want to be treated and even better, I think, than the way you want to be treated before you can really exactly. give that love to others. And so when you said there needs to be more songs about self-love, it's like, I can't even think of one. Can you? I, I mean, I can't think of a single song and well, there are of, a few. <laughs> you know of course there are books and meditations and teachings mm -hmm. and um I think about Oprah Winfrey and her and her whole network you know yeah. um and Super Soul Sunday and all of that and yeah. and of course you know that's out there but in terms of you know that messaging on a day-to-day -day basis you have to really search for it I just I agree with everything you said I mean self-love and and being optimistic and remaining positive, I think you have to keep working at it. It doesn't yeah. happen. You know, you can't just for maybe for some people and, and they have a strong enough, you know, mental mm -hmm. mind, you know, maybe they can mm -hmm. snap their fingers and say, I'm going to just be so positive all day. Right. But, <laughs> but we have the news. We have what's going on in our day to day lives. You have what's happening with your mm -hmm. friends and your family and your loved ones around you. And, you know, it's hard to stay in that um, positive uplifting zone, yeah. zone all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's a full-time job, I think, to keep yourself in that positive state of mind. And thanks to you for starting this podcast. I think this is like a wonderful resource. And I'm amazed at this whole thing you've taken up. And I can assure you that this is going to inspire thousands, oh. if, not, if not like million people, definitely in, in, you know, loving themselves better and showing up, them, uh, showing up for themselves in their lives in a more authentic way. So thank you. Oh, well, for thank that. you. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> and thank you, you know, for your willingness to come on and talk about all this. And my hope is, you know, that this message spreads and uh, more mm -hmm. people, you know, hear the podcast and spread the message of the podcast. And you know, for you in your own life, how do you stay, you know, that authentic version of yourself? Mm -hmm. I mean, given all that we just talked about. I think I journal um, and write about it a lot um, because other than reading self-help, what's also important is articulating how you feel. So I do journal a lot. I make lists. Um, um, I think I have like, um, you know, this 
whole um, idea that, you know, let's make me more productive and yeah. more authentic of who I want to be as a person. So, you know, I make lists of things I need to do in my life, you know, make a list of everything. Being more productive keeps me authentic in the sense that, you know, I need to check on myself, you know, the authentic self that I'm talking about, it has the goal of being 100% optimistic. Oh, yeah, I feel that way <laughs> in my life, too. But it sounds like the journaling that you do, and the list that you make, it sounds like it helps you stay sort of uh, conscientious and conscious of, you know, who you are and what it is you want to be and, and achieve. Absolutely. And it's also kind of like, okay, you know, how do I want to show up right. for me today? And, and how can mm -hmm. I be myself today? And, and I don't make a physical list. But sometimes it's something, you know, you run through your mind, you know, if yeah. Okay, you know, yeah. maybe that means, you know, I slow down and I treat this person with kindness or I have more compassion. Mm -hmm. I think we can, you know, strive for that and, and strive to be, you know, our authentic selves all the time or as much as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think what, uh, what you said made so much sense to me that, you know, including the kindness and compassion in everything you do, you know, it also starts with being kind and compassionate to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> I have these days when I wake up and tell myself that I have to do this, this, this. And then by end of the day, if I've not achieved it, I'm always, you know, having this guilt that, oh my God, I didn't do it. Or, you know, like I, I, I'm, um, you know, I have a kind of um, feeling that, you know, I'm not doing enough and I'm yeah. not good enough. And, you know, it's important to be kind and compassionate to yourself and saying that you're doing the best you can and that you will get there. And it's a matter of time. <laughs> when you have those moments, how do you re show that kindness and compassion to yourself? Um, meditation really helped. Taking a quiet moment to just breathe. I reach out to friends. I think what what matters is that, you know, you're keeping your relationships, you know, happy and healthy while mm -hmm. doing all these, you know, items on your checklist. And, you know, just having that connection for a few moments with uh, someone you love or someone you adore um, really helps me. And, you know, always there's kindness and compassion when you're talking to that person, you know you have your authentic self coming out to this person and what comes back is also love in return and mm. and i think that that really keeps me you know motivated plus you know also helps me create kindness and compassion for myself and you know for the people i love yeah we have to cut ourselves um some slack i think you know absolutely and give ourselves a break and you know just reminding yourself that everything's okay you know yeah. and yeah. there's you've got time and it will happen and yes. um i love that you have you know those people in your life that that you can you know reach out to and and that love that you get in return is so important yeah, yeah i'm really grateful <laughs> it's a reminder of that self-love that we need to show ourselves too you know yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not getting enough uh, love, then, well, you need to reevaluate, you know. I think it's a great, um, you know, kind of a measure of what you're, what you're doing with your life in the sense that, you know, if you can create happy and healthy relationships, then you can also create, you know, that kind of zone for yourself. Yeah. And yeah, and no relationship is perfect. You need to keep working on it every day. And that that keeps you going as well. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, you've got to show that love to yourself first before you can even expect mm -hmm. it, I think, from anybody else. And you can sort of measure 
what you're going to get by what you give to yourself first too, exactly. I think. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about the joy in your life a little bit. In your day-to-day life, what does joy look like for you? I guess the easiest way for me to be joyful uh, comes from my hobby of being a dancer. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't even know about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, on social media, um, it's mostly like, you know, all about the climate moment. But um, personally, I dance at least um, three days a week. It fulfills mm-hmm. me in ways that um, that nothing can. Um, well, you know, my greatest passion is the environmental moment and um, everything I do through uh, my work. But, you know, the dance is my, you know, space that completely cuts me off from the rest of the world. And I actually, you know, have this own time for myself where I can create a little bit of joy for my personal soul yeah um so I have been dancing for a long time now um I've been professionally trained I'm more of a semi-professional now I do perform once in a while um and have had the opportunity to kind of meet you know some great mentors and you know make great friends in the dancing space um and you know it's created friendships for a lifetime through that hobby as well but I would like to see myself be able to combine my passion and my hobby someday to be able to create more awareness for the climate moment and obviously like you know probably create you know a kind of fusion of the two it hasn't happened yet but hopefully we'll get there can you imagine being able to you know, combine both passions and to have such um, a positive impact on the world. I mean, that would be, that would be so cool for you when you're dancing or, or just moving your body. What does that joy really feel like for you? I think the joy um, comes from letting go, Um, being able to just, you know, letting go of what is and, you know, just embracing the moment and, um, you know, being more accepting of your own self and I think that comes through dance you know um and a lot of people like (laughs) um a lot of my friends who are in the dancing space um have called me the happy dancer so (laughs) yes it's true it's true I can tell you names of people who have called me the happy dancer oh my gosh and it's because of the fact that I'm not competitive and you know I was in a space like where I was actually in dance competitions but I've never been in a zone where I was like okay I won this award what's next for me right I'm not that person and I've always been in a space where like I want to dance to feel happy not to be competing not to be showing that oh I'm the best dancer in the room that's just not me (laughs) so I might not be the most you know graceful dancer in the room but I'm the happy dancer I'm the person who just like wants to let go of everything and be that person who can be like I'm not judging I'm not you know kind of competing and just being a happy person yeah it's not about the competition it's more about yeah how it fills you up and and the impact it has yeah. on your mind and body and the way that you feel and the, the happiness and so we talked a little bit um about self-love before but how do you build up that self-love muscle i think um one thing i've never stopped doing is exploring new stuff i've never stopped trying new things i've never stopped reading new things i've never um, kind of confine myself to one kind of perspective or mindset saying that, oh, this is what I'm going to do. 
And I think that's that's the muscle that I exercise. I personally believe that, you know, you don't know what you're good at until you keep trying. You could try a hundred things and, you know, realize that the 101st thing you try is what you're really good at or what yeah. brings you that joy and peace. I think it's all about being open to possibilities, being open to experiences and, you know, keeping that muscle active in the sense that, you know, being open. And that's that's how I feel that you can keep building that self-love muscle being open to opportunities being open to ideas being open to people being open to everything in the world (laughs) and and that's how I I I basically flex my self-love muscle I love it there's tons and tons of things out there and I think the key is to be open and to be open to learning for someone who's listening to this podcast and Maybe, you know, they want to get involved in the climate movement or, you know, make a difference and follow what it is that they're passionate about, no matter, you know, what that is. What would be your biggest piece of advice? I think my biggest piece of advice would be actually what I just touched on earlier, being open, being, um, you know, available to life experiences, being open to ideas and opportunities that come your way and be able to put you know, put yourself in a position where you're out of your comfort zone. You know, I mean, my mom had the hardest time letting me go out there to, you know, be in Antarctica. Um, (laughs) I think my mom is more brave (laughs) than me in sending me there because, you know, I come from a very conservative family back in India. And, you know, my mom was like, are you sure you want to go? You want to do this? And when I called her from a satellite phone, she was like, are you really there? You know, <laughs> that feeling. I mean, it wouldn't have happened if I d- didn't randomly like, you know, Google about, you know, what, what the, what's happening in the world um, and, you know, like apply to go on this expedition. And, you know, so keeping open, keeping your options open, keeping yourself open to um you know opportunities and adventures that's that's what makes you realize that you are worth so much more when they happen yeah and they'll happen if you keep yourself open so that's my biggest piece of advice oh i love that you know i think so many people close doors for themselves before they're even able to open them and so to remain Mm -hmm. open and you never know what adventure will come knocking I love that. What would you say is your biggest dream? Oh my God, that's a huge question. Um, I guess my biggest dream would be to actually be a part of the climate movement in the best way possible. Um, You know, I always have this personal prayer that I, I think that's the first time I'm putting it out there. But I've always told the universe to basically take me to a place that needs me the most and in a way that I can offer my best and most to. And I think my biggest dream would be if I'm able to deliver my best to any opportunity that comes along my way in the climate movement. And I want to be someone who gave their 100% to whatever they did. And that would be my biggest dream. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's it's about being part of it. And I love, you know, that your prayer has been just to use me and put me where 
where I can be of the most help and of the most service. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was no accident you and I met back in in March of 2017 Mm -hmm. at the training in Denver and it's been so fun to follow you and and see everything that you're doing and I have no doubt your dream is going to come true. I just think as with anything, you know, it's just a matter of time. Likewise, Sydney, I'm so grateful that we met and you know, I know for sure that we're in the same zone right now and I know that wherever we go, we will do our best and we will be great leaders and you know, people who inspire other people to take on the climate moment and I'm, I'm so proud that you know, we're here for each other. My name is Andrea McJimsey. I'm a native Virginian and I've lived in California, Colorado, New Jersey, Nebraska, all over the country, Massachusetts. I got concerned with climate um, when I dated a climate scientist who was my best friend's cousin. And I really didn't know about what was going on. And he taught me and I became alarmed pretty quickly because, uh, of course, the scientists are really concerned. Um, so I really changed my life. I started working directly on environmental issues, became a climate activist and organizer. A through line for me has been working on climate. And now I'm Uh, the Global Warming Director at Environment America. So I was actually an elected official in part of this journey, and I worked on climate and I was targeted uh, by people who don't, who are climate deniers. And it was pretty rough. And after I lost my election by a couple hundred votes, and um, I'd been, you know, pretty beat up. And so I was just really wondering what to do with my life and not feeling great. And um, I applied to the climate reality training. And that was really the beginning of me, um, kind of my resilience, my coming back and working on everything again. Um, So that's probably what what means the most to me is that I was um, being trained by Vice President Gore, who also went through a really rough time in politics Mm. and, you know, had just kept his three line, just kept his North Star is working on the environment and um, addressing the climate crisis. And it was so inspirational for me. And it also gave me, I mean, such high production value, the presentation, and it gave me this tool to go out and talk about you know, my heart's passion um, and spread the word about what's going on with the climate crisis. When I was uh, first working on the, tr- on the, giving the presentation, because uh, you, you learn about it in the three days, but then you have to practice it before you go out and give it. Uh, I wept. It was so sad because it's so powerful what's going on in the world. And then it really ends on hope you know, mm-hmm. and the, the clean energy revolution. Um, so I'm like in this hopeful place now. And that's another thing that I think is so important about the training is yeah. that it leaves you in a place of hope. It's open doors to all kinds of audiences for me, um, from retired generals to really conservative Lutheran pastors and chambers of commerce. I mean, it's really opened up dialogues with all parts of society for me. Hi, Karen, how are you? I am excellent, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I can't believe it's been a year. 
since I know. Uh, we were, well, basically, basically a year. What was your favorite part of the training? I suppose a couple of things, hard to say favorite, um, but I, the overarching is that I found my voice, hmm. that I was devastated after the election and um I wanted to kind of turn that around and say, okay, you know, how do you move forward? You just can't be depressed for four years, right? You've got to move forward and um, take what's been given to you and, um, I don't know, turn it around and um, deal with it in a positive way. And um, I just really believe that we're all responsible for our, our life and our community. So I, I started looking around. What was I going to do in response to this um, new administration and I got I don't know I just kept coming back to climate and reading about and you know, reading online um, and um, listening to art to um, podcasts and articles reading articles that climate change climate change was really the issue of our time and was going to be um, the issue of addressing it was going to be a big factor um, with this administration. Climate Reality Project made a lot of sense. You know, Al Gore's approach of building this army of citizen activists who can engage on a level where they are informed um, made a lot of sense to me. And so I, I found my voice in Denver because of that. Those three days were not only inspiring, but educational. I, I have been active ever since then in speaking to the community and um, spreading the word his his talk this morning at Tufts that I was listening to yeah I got a, a you know a couple of new ins, inspirations out of it this morning and, and one was you know he said I'm not here he's talking to students I'm not here to entertain you I'm not here even to inform you I'm here to recruit you I thought you know that is it that is it um, it's not just understanding climate change. It's not just saying, um, yes, this is a big issue. It is getting people into the movement to um, to really get the boots on the ground and make, make the changes we need at a policy and at a personal level. I love that you found your voice. I think so many of us found our voice. And so if there's somebody that's listening um, that, you know, maybe wants to get involved and join a training the next time it happens or what would be your your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to jump in and get involved um i used to tell my kid that uh, courage wasn't lack of fear courage was having fear and doing it anyway hmm. and i i just really believe um that that is that is kind of how you know uh a way to look at life and so i i don't really like public speaking <laughs> Who does right? <laughs> right. Um, but I, I feel like that is a way I can hopefully have some impact. And you know, just the one other thing that was good about Al Gore's group or the conference that I haven't said yet is, is that you do get um, engaged on a deeper level with a group of people. And I, um, you know, I, I feel I can reach, I can reach out. You know, I feel like this network is so important. My name is Joan Claire Richter. Um, I'm an environmental consultant in the entertainment industry. I run a company called Movie Mind Green, and we green sets and film festivals and production offices and commercials. 
And I'm also a LA climate reality leader, and Sydney and I were trained together in Denver back in March of 2017. And since then, we formed a Los Angeles chapter, and I'm in leadership for that chapter. For me, one of my favorite parts was just the connections and the different people I got to meet while I was there. What would you say is um, your biggest takeaway from the training or, or even your favorite part of the training? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a two-part question. I definitely share some of the same feelings that you had about the training. For me, being in a room, you know, I work in a job where I'm not trying to convince people, but I get quite a bit of resistance sometimes because there's you know, bud budget constraints and et cetera. Um, in the entertainment industry, it's not always the most obvious choice to like yeah. make the sustainability choice. So having said that, going to Denver, being in a room of 950 people that are generally centered around the environment was sort of dreamy to me, you know? I could, yeah. I could have these conversations that just seemed like unfiltered. And so it was pretty incredible, the connections, I agree, and, and meeting so many people both at our table and outside of our table. And of course, getting to meet some of the higher ups since then. And yeah, so it was it was a really incredible experience and there is a training coming up in the fall in Los Angeles. So they're um, looking to train about 3000 people. So it's another opportunity, sort of more of a local opportunity yeah. for people to get involved. Yeah. So they do the trainings internationally too, which I think is good for people to know. So if you're not local um, to the mm -hmm. United States, you can find one, you know, all around the world. I think they do what, like three or four trainings. Um, yeah, a year. I think about that. Yeah, yeah, I think about that. So you mentioned earlier too that now you're part of the leadership for the um, the chapter out here in Los Angeles. So what has that experience been like? Well, you know, I think I was looking for another place to lead in the environmental sector. So for me, having this opportunity was just it just seemed like a natural progression when Andrew Ellis asked me to be on leadership. Um, but what it's been like has been really cool because it's turning into an, a vehicle for me to work on my own projects, but also to educate people. I mean, it's we're getting people to give presentations. One of the other women in leadership, Suzanne, gave presentations to 700 kids yesterday. Oh Just gosh. like set up all day she was giving presentations. So it's it's an opportunity to sort of say, hey, I went and I got trained and now I don't really know what to do. So can you help me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it's just a bunch of people getting together in a room and saying, OK, how do we take what we learned, all of that wealth of information? I mean, you remember at the training, there was so much that we were given Oh, so and so sort much. of taking that and really saying, OK, how do I turn this into tangible work you know how do i share this with people and so we're really just acting as a resource for people to get their feet on the ground there's been opportunities to really make headway so it's been a lot of fun my name is linda kramer and i um was born in orange county and i'm uh by trade a licensed marriage family therapist but i've always had a thing for green energy because I've had a number of asthma attacks in my life. And so pollution has been something that mattered to me. And that led me to study and understand um, the impact of global warming. So when I had the chance to go to the training, uh, the climate reality training, 
in March, I went. That sort of led to this whole uh, revolution for me of deciding I wanted to do, I wanted to work in green energy because it's a really positive field and I've met great people and it's really led me on a great path. So I do some climate activism and I'm also looking to get in to the business of green energy. And it was really awesome for me to see you, I guess it must have been in August um, at the Women in Green Forum. And I was really happy that you were able to come and uh, we could catch up there. And Yes. And that was such a terrific connection uh, that when you invited all of us on the team and uh, I came, um, it led me even to more, like you said, I met some really great people and I um, and one of them was um, Tamara T.J. DiCaprio from Microsoft. Um, and she was just so inspiring for me because I had had basically a rough day that day where I had been um, just talking about climate change and getting um, some resistance and just feeling sort of frustrated by it. And then she just gave me this great pep talk and she was so available. She guided me to my next step, which was, just approaching my own company about making some changes and learning more about sustainability. So that was an amazing connection. Yeah. What I did was I went home and I did a bunch of homework and I work for a hospital. So I sort of looked at sustainability in hospitals. Um, And, but that also led me to look at what cities do for incentives. And I happened to be in the city of Cerritos and I had emailed them And they emailed me back so excited to hear from me. And they had several incentive programs. And um, I I went, I asked for a meeting and I went to my hospital and I said, these incentive programs are going on. And um, they connected with the city and they actually signed up for one of the incentive programs. So, and then we had talked about solar and they're still looking at that and doing their research on it. I think it's an inspiration for everybody to know that you can approach maybe your workplace or an organization that you're passionate about and say, hey, this is what they're doing somewhere else. Let's try and do it here. What do you think? And the fact that they've, they're have they on board, I think, is really, I think it's a testament to you and then also to mm-hmm. sort of the power that as climate reality leaders you can have to really start to change the conversation and shift the dialogue. And- yes, it's, it is true that just by one training or taking one path, it sort of opens a lot of doors for you, you know. And I was really scared because it's a totally new field for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, going from psychotherapy to talking about climate science or green buildings or green energy is, is just a new field, but doors open. And so it's been, it's been really exciting for me and positive. Hi, my name is Mayela Manassian, and um, professionally, I have over 17 years experience in environmental management programs, and I've worked diligently as an environmental advocate to protect the environment for the benefit of all current and future generations, which I'm very proud of. But most importantly is um, I, I believe it's so important that we live according to our values. And so for me, that includes leading with um, what I call my three Gs gratitude, gentleness, and generosity. And so that is actually what led me to the training is, um, you know, I'm so grateful for the experiences that I'd had to date, 
Um, I'm a firm believer in being gentle first and foremost with ourselves and then the people that live on this incredible planet with us and also, you know, the just the overall uh, ecosystem. And so it's important that we be gentle with our planet, but then um, really how we go about doing that is through our generous spirit. And so that is what was really exciting to me about being at the training with everyone. You were the first person uh, that I met when I got to Denver, when I got to our table, table 54. And I think you gave me a hug when I first got there and your energy was infectious. I mean, it really set the tone for me uh, for those three days of the training. So I love that those values really permeate everything that you do. Well, thank you for that, Sydney. I was delighted to meet you along with everyone else that was there. Um, there is a spark of light that is in every single one of us. And it was a real joy for me to discover your story, um, to connect with you, and also just find ways that we could help to support one another beyond the training. It was a real pleasure for me. And um, I'm just continually amazed by all the progress that everyone at our phenomenal Table 54 has made um, in the year since. What was your biggest takeaway um, from the training in Denver? Uh, like I said, I think um, I learned a lot about the science of climate change, which is very important. But one of the first things that we learned is that, you know, the facts, while they may convince some people, don't always um, convince everyone. I think what I really loved, um, and especially going back to connecting with my values, um, I really loved the day that we spent where we, uh, you know, really explored what our climate stories were and shared those with one another. And since then, I can tell you that um, every time I share who I am as a person, I'm much more quicker and more effectively able to connect with them, um, not just on climate change issues, but on any topic, um, much better than I am if I'm just, um, you know, sharing a, a bunch of facts with them. So I would say that was one of my greatest takeaways is how to connect with people at the heart level. If you really want to find out where people are at and if you kind of want to practice your story. Um, I love trying it out on my um, Uber or Lyft drivers because we ha we all have something in common with everyone. So it's just a matter of figuring out what those common values or points of connection are. Mm -hmm.